Welcome to the Zeal Interestings Podcast, where we discuss an interesting article or link from the week. I'm your host, Chris White. My first guest this week is Randy Coleman, a software engineer at Zeal. Welcome back, Randy. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here again. And I have one more guest, Adam Cuppy, Chief Operating Officer at Zeal. Thanks for joining the conversation as well, Adam. hey Yes, all of that. So I've assembled this crack team for a very special topic. Uh, we were pretty inspired and interested in Gary Bernhardt's article on how to choose a talk topic. And uh, we happen to have two frequent or semi-frequent talk givers in this, uh, in this conversation. So I thought that we would have a great conversation. So thanks, thanks, as, thanks as always for joining me, both of you. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm super stoked to be here for sure. All right. So there were, there were several suggestions that Gary gave, and I thought they were worth mentioning. Coming up with a top topic is something that he's gotten feedback is super hard to do. Is, is coming up with a topic really that hard, like in your experience? For me, I had gotten in the habit of, of blogging weekly, and I did that for about four years. And so I got in the habit of, of mining topics all the time. I basically felt like I kept a background thread running in my brain all day long. Where when I was working on something, it's like, could I write about this? Could I write about this? Could I write about this? And so I'd get ideas from that. And then I found when I went to write about them, some ideas just kind of blew up into like a multiple posts or a series. And those tended to be what I turned into talk ideas. So I kind of started small with blog topics. And forcing yourself to write weekly means that you have to be constantly on lookout for topics because, uh, I mean, some people are prolific and, and can write every day like Seth Godin. I needed to to mine for topics all the time. And so I tended to turn blog ideas into talks as they grew or as I felt like, oh, there's enough here to actually make up a talk. So that, that's kind of my process. I definitely keep an idea file like Gary talks about. That's that's a big win for sure. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I actually have maybe a different problem, and that is I have too many ideas. The And the what that generally leads to is ideas end up quite half-baked in the beginning. <laughs> maybe that's common and... You know, I, I shouldn't be criticizing myself for that, but I generally will take quite a while to settle on what kind of portion I'm the most interested in talking about. And so from that, it'll sort of identify out what the things make sense for me. So, you know, Gary mentions frequently that connecting two ideas together that don't normally go together or finding intersections are really an interesting field for coming up with ideas. Randy, has that I've heard a couple of your talks that where that's been the case. Is that, that how you kind of pull those things together? Maybe sometimes. One of my talks was about kind of what I learn in one programming language and how I apply that to another one. And so what I, it was at a, a Ruby conference, or a couple of Ruby conferences, I gave that one. And so I took examples from other languages like Smalltalk and C++ and things that are just kind of standard practice in those environments. And then talked about, okay, now what does this mean if we apply this in Ruby and does it make sense to do it in Ruby or not? Are they good idioms to know? And kind of made the more bro- the broader point that you know anything you learn uh, can have some impact on what you're doing day to day and will kind of open up your design space. And so that one definitely feels like a crossover, not necessarily from a completely different domain. Um, other talks I've done are... Uh, I would say um, I've done one on refactoring that I consider more educational. A lot of people... Really, I haven't practiced like really small baby step refactoring, and so that was one of my talks is just how to do that. Kind of walked through an example of it, and I've also done that one as a workshop as well. And then the other main talk I did was about building a program that could play this particular board game that I just really wanted to write a solver for it. And I figured if I proposed a talk on it and got it accepted, it would force me to put the time into writing the solver. And 
And it turned into a cool talk. I, I, I like that one. But uh, yeah, so some crossover stuff, I guess, you know, how would you get a computer to play a board game, crossover into board games? But I don't know that I do the, the crossover stuff quite as well as Gary does. He, he has some great talks. So That's awesome. And uh, Adam as well, it seems like, you know, you have lots of, lots of varying interests all over the place. Uh, how has that come together for you when you've been coming up with technical conference talks? Well, I've definitely found that my desire is, is more towards the experience of a talk. So my background, for those of you who aren't familiar, is as an actor. And so I very much approach a talk from that perspective, almost first and foremost. And then I kind of work backwards. And so part of the educational process for me is, you know, what, what within this is the kind of simplest concept that should be known? And how can I build an experience around relaying that concept to an audience? Uh, especially as an actor, you know, engaging the body is, is a really important thing. And I think my, my criticism of many conference talks is that they lack that one component. They're not, they lack the almost kinesthetic involvement of the audience. And so I find that I'm more on a, on a mission to solve that need than anything. And so I, but at the same time as I want to have a talk that can, can focus its energy on what is the thing that someone needs to know and how can they involve their body to kind of recognize and realize that point. Huh. That's really interesting. Can you kind of get, pull out an example of how you've, how you've done that in one of your talks? Uh, sure. So the talk I've given the most is a talk called What If Shakespeare Wrote Ruby? And it's a pretty abstract talk as far as, or it's, it's language, more language agnostic than anything. It was designed for RailsConf a few years ago. So it could be, you know, what if Shakespeare could code or what have you. Uh, and the, the source material for the talk, other than Shakespeare's work, was a challenge that many of us as software developers experience around the topic of documentation and how tough it can be to document our code, keep that up to date, do something with it, you know. And so it really got me thinking, well, what are some other what is some other inspiration that we can get around the topic of documentation? And I studied Shakespeare for many years, longer than I've studied software development. And uh, one of the things that was always so fascinating to me was that Shakespeare as a poet had, you know, 850,000 words, you know, dozens and dozens of works, just, you know, a huge novel worth of text and almost no, stage direction, choreography, music. I mean, all of this complexity, this poetic complexity and nothing kind of nothing that ran sidecar to that text to explain what it was about. All of it was embedded into the text itself. And so it really got me thinking like, well, what could we glean from that as software developers? You know, how could we design our code and write our write our language, our poetry in a way that was really helpful to better understand what it was all about? And so a natural component of that is because it's theater and because it's Shakespeare, it's like, well, let's involve the body. And so there's a big portion of the talk that brings four volunteers on stage where they do the opening scene from Romeo and Juliet. While that scene itself doesn't have a ton of merit against software development as a whole, what it kind of illustrates is just the, the narrative and descriptive nature of the text and how that is expressing the intention of the situation and the exposition of uh, where the play begins. So it just involves that kind of physical nature and it kind of ties it back in and it gives another way of, of the audience to open up the brain and mind to another way of thinking about this other than just lecture. 
That's really awesome. It seems like the, when, I, when I've seen you give conference talks, you're always trying to have an animated element to it or have some sort of audience tie in. Is that something you've always done or is that something you found to be pretty critical? Uh, yeah, for me, it's critical. Number one is I think I have the ability to, to provide that because of my prior experience. So I think I'm suited as a presenter to provide that offering. But at the same time, I think it's good for anybody to do something very similar. And there's some really simple things that every conference speaker could do to open up another side of the brain and provide something other than just an auditory experience. Um, so you'll notice in my talks, there's, there's three very distinct elements, physical elements that will always exist. So one of them in the beginning is always there's a physical something. And it's a low-risk activity that's meant to kind of normalize the room, but also engage the mind. So if you've been at a conference, even a one-day, one-track conference, and especially at a multi-day, multi-track conference, you're going to experience a lot of the very, very similar conference talk style, right? You're going to have some sort of lecture, some sort of presenter, and then you're likely to be sitting in an audience. And so kind of having that radical disruption of, uh, you know, have everybody scoot into the middle. Uh, is it necessary? No, but it kind of, it kind of encourages that kind of physical sort of, well, we're all doing it sort of idea and mentality. And then within the talk, there's going to be some element where I'm going to ask a question or ask for some form of simple, low-risk physical involvement. Raise your hand if you agree or stand up if you agree or you know, look around the room if X applies to you or what have you. And again, that's just an opportunity to just physically activate the body and encourage the kind of subconscious kind of parasympathetic mind to, to kind of ca- encapsulate and understand the, the content that they're hearing. And then you'll experience something at the end where hopefully, and most of the time, there's some form of participation where, you know, say something or talk to your partner or buddy, or if you're at a round table, you know, do some simple brainstorm. Again, something that's relatively low risk. At this point, it's going to be a little higher. It's going to be a little bit more involved, but it will have a very physical component to it. And, and these are all very strategically placed where they kind of cap and it kind of end a moment in time with the content. So it just gives that opportunity to just kind of like solidify it a little bit more. So you're like trying to break that common conference, like, you know, malaise, the, the boredom of be, of having something in the same format over and over again. And you're trying to like boil a frog by like slowly getting them out of their comfort zone. You know, I feel like I've definitely been to some conference talks where people have been, people have like tried to go down the route of audience participation, but they, you know, whip right into it unexpectedly. And I felt very uncomfortable during those moments. Like, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. But it, it seems like there's a balance to be had there. Yeah. And the simplest way to think about it is, is you always start with something that's really low risk that requires nobody to negatively stand out. So it doesn't require a strong opinion on any one thing. It just helps bring everybody together. So you know, a really simple exercise that you could do as a group that's not a conference talk thing whatsoever, but like if you're in a group and you just kind of want to encourage participation is a simple exercise called stand up if. And it's, you know, you have, let's say, half a dozen to a dozen points that are that are binary. You either agree or disagree with them. And you say stand up if this is true for you. No discussion, no conversation, no debate. It's not that. You don't have to justify it. Just stand up if this is true. And it can be a really simple way to, you know, sort of like learn a little bit about the people around you, you know, stand up if you have siblings, stand up if you like ice cream, stand up if you 
if you believe Vim is the superior editor, you know, things like that. They can be really fun and jovial, but it just kind of gives this opportunity for everybody to sort of physically start to engage. Nice, nice. Swinging back to Randy, like when you're evaluating your topics for something that, that you want to do as a conference talk, what, how do you get from this has been a good blog post or a good blog series to I want to submit this as a conference talk? What, what, what criteria do you put on something to get into that comfortable state where you want to put it out there? I don't know. I sort of have a sense for it, but there has to be enough meat there to feel like it's worth somebody you know, spending 30 to 45 minutes of their time actually hearing about this topic. You know, a couple of my speaking experiences were at the former Mountain West Ruby conference, which was an awesome conference. But Mike's goal in organizing that conference was that he wanted to melt everybody's brains. And so I tend to like to do the really technical talks that will try to melt people's brains. And so it also needs to be a topic that I want to spend that much time with. Um, I put a fair bit of time into preparing conference talks. And if it's a topic I'm not all that excited about, I won't want to put that time in. So it's got to be something that I think will help people or will teach people something or inspire them some way. And then it's got to be a topic that I'm willing to put that kind of time and effort into and spend that much time with. Um, and those are kind of my criteria. You know, I, I, I tend to like to teach things. Uh, I've been in this business a long time and there's a lot of new people and so I like to try to, to, to present things that are going to help people get better at their craft. Um, I am not an actor by trade, so I tend not to do the, the much more, uh, I'd say, inspirational style talks that Adam does. Um, might be the reason why he gets invited to speak all over the place and I don't. I don't know. But you know, I, I get a share of talks accepted, but I tend to stay more technical and, and really try to be something um, more instructional, I would say. Yeah, that's great. And and Adam as well, you mentioned that you have to go through quite a narrowing process when you're when you're transforming to- ideas into talks. What what are the criteria that you kind of apply to that? Is it just what you're interested in at the time or are there like are is there anything that like helps you decide this is what I'm going to talk about? Well, I tried something new this year specifically that I had not done in years past. So, this year I decided specifically to pick topics like high level topics that I was that I wanted to kind of center all my talks around. So this year the topics are confidence and certainty. And these two specifically came out of now having done this for over a decade and working with those individuals that are either coming out of code schools or less experienced and their kind of general sense or lack of confidence that they have and looking at like, well, what's the differentiator between them at their stage against me or others like me at my stage? What's that difference? And in recognizing that, well, as an actor, again, where confidence is a huge component of us being able to do do our art form, what were the mechanics behind the ability to do that? Like get over stage fright. Like what's that look like? So on the surface, that's really what the motivator right now has been. In the past, I think... I, I think in the past I would have benefited heavily from the same sort of ideal of, of this this idea of having a topic. But uh, generally, what I look for is, you know, what is the simplest, most poignant thing to focus attention on. I think another challenge for most speakers is they try and jam too much in in too little time. They try and tackle the world, you know, instead of just really honing in on what is the most important thing about this given topic that you really want to make sure that the audience walks away with. And then 
everything else you choose to tackle and touch on around that is just support and reinforcement to that single cause. And so even if you do introduce a second kind of subsequent topic or focal point, that's okay, but you stay really honed in on the one thing you want to make sure they walk away with. Because again, there's, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to read about, learn about, or hear about the rest. But if, if they sit through a 30 minute talk or 45 minute talk and can't, they're like, oh my gosh, I just, I don't, I didn't really have enough time with any of it. Then it kind of dilutes its ultimate effectiveness. Nice. Uh, that as a frequent conference attendee, that really, really resonates with me. I never leave a conference talk with more than maybe one or two or three like core takeaways. The things that really stick with me and really change the way that I do things in the future have been a lot of that has come from conference talks that I've been to, but never more than a few things. So that that uh, as someone who's attended yet not given any talks, uh, that that really resonates with me. Yeah. And I would also throw out there that for those that are looking are newer to giving a talk, it can be a really scary feeling because you, you know, I think we've also, many of us, especially if you've attended a conference, we've experienced a talk where we feel like the speaker was focusing maybe on the wrong or less poignant or, or impactful thing. Um, and so like, Oh, I wish they would have gone into that a little bit further. And, and I think that's a really can be a fair criticism, but it's a dangerous and very slippery slope because that can lead us to, as speakers, to try and, again, tackle the world in a really short period of time. And instead, it's like you're going to, there's a degree of risk you're going to take in picking a thing and in really honing in on that thing. And going back to the article we were talking about, one of the things I love about Gary Bernhardt is while he can have these kind of mind uh, what did you call it, Randy? Like a uh, mind melting, sort of like mind bending sort of topics, he always is able to, like, you can point at the thing you need to know at the end of it. What's the thing that he's trying to, he's trying to push you towards. And I think that's, that's a kind of ability to focus and hone in is really a sign of a really quality speaker is that one ability. Awesome. Awesome. And so it sounds like you guys have, you know, fields of area, areas and fields where you draw inspiration for conference talks and, and think about it frequently enough to where your applications for giving talks go pretty well. When I've talked to other people about that, that I believe would be great conference speakers, but don't really want to do it, they frequently have the feedback, well, I don't know what I would talk about. Is there any advice that you would give to someone in that scenario, Randy? I would say everybody has something to talk about. You might not, you might not think you're very far along, but you're ahead of somebody else and you have things to say that will help them, will inspire them, will teach them something. Um, even just knowing, hey, you know what, that's only one step ahead of my journey. That That's something I can get to. That's something I can achieve. Everybody has that. There's always somebody coming along behind you that you can help and grow. And I've actually blogged about this a few times. Just There's a, a song I really like, and the title is You've Got Something to Say, and the whole point of the song is Everybody Has Something to Say. And so just keep your eyes open, keep that background thread running, just anything that, hey, I learned this today. Maybe you just write a little tweet, hey, I learned this, or a little short blog post or something. And you know, starting speaking, you don't have to start applying to the big conferences right away. Find a local meetup group or something that needs speakers. I've helped organize meetup groups, and they're always looking for people to speak. So They really are. That's a great place to practice. It's a great place to try out ideas. It's a less threatening environment. 
and you can kind of see what stuff resonates. You know, maybe you give a talk and the feedback you get is, oh, I really wish you'd gone into this point more. And maybe you, you pivot the talk a little bit and go there. Um, it's great, great practice. You can give, you know, lunch and learn talks where you work, perhaps all, all kinds of ideas to get started that are less threatening than like a big conference stage that a lot of people might be frightened about. But I, I, I believe everybody's got something to say. You see the world differently than anybody else. And so things that you, you think, oh, everybody knows that. Not everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Like you see jokes or something that you think, oh, everybody's heard that joke. And then you, you mention it to somebody. I never heard that one before. That's awesome. That's hilarious. And that's true with a lot of other things. Like you might make connections between things in the world that nobody else will make because they don't have your experience. And so it, it took me years and years before I started realizing, wait a minute, I have this unique combina- combination of things and unique way of looking at the world that other people don't have. And so things that I think that are just completely obvious to everybody really aren't, and they're worth sharing. And once you start noticing that, gives you a really rich field of ideas to choose from for giving talks. That's excellent advice. And Adam, how about you? Uh, what, what would you tell a aspiring conference talk giver who just feels like there's nothing they can do? I, I really think Randy's feedback is, is, was phenomenal because uh, I, I very much believe in the exact same thing. I think everybody has something to say. And I think the concern of most people is that they have been inspired and they have, they've been inspired by others and they don't feel that they could be as inspiring. And I think that's a faulty target. I think instead it's, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear your journey of getting from where you were through what you learned to where you are. I, I, I don't think that the narrative that, that listening experience will ever go away. And so to kind of reinforce what Randy was saying is, is that, you know, we all see the world differently in our own kind of unique, in in our own kind of unique flavor of things. And so regardless of whether or not you've heard 10 talks about active record as an example or GraphQL or what have you, the probability is, is that you've had an experience or you've discovered something or the way in which you thought through that problem is unique. It's almost guaranteed. And so, you know, kind of like Randy was suggesting is going to meetup groups and talking about these topics, I think is really important because how else would people learn about it? They probably wouldn't. And so I think that's an important thing to remember. Another thing is there's a, there's a friend of mine that actually, I find her to be incredibly fascinating she does not come from a technical background, but runs a technical company and suggested her many, many times. I'm like, I really feel like your journey into doing what you do now is so fascinating. And I think it's really inspirational. And she's never felt that way. And there was a period of time where I was slightly disappointed in that, just in the sense that I was like, oh man, I wish it. And then I, I kind of had to check myself and be like, but it's her story to tell. It's not mine. And so at some level, not just at some level, very much at a, at, to a great extent, I have to accept fully that it's her journey, it's her story, and if she wants to tell it, she can. And the best I can do is encourage her, um, but that's the extent of what I should do. Uh, beyond that point is it's up to her. And so for those of you who feel pushed to give talks because those around you are telling you you should, I guess at some to a certain extent, I'm, I'm just giving you permission to say it's not for you um, and that that's okay. It's okay. Yet at the same time, is maybe those people around you are encouraging you to do something 
that you would be very capable of doing and maybe just explore that and just check and make sure that it is not something you want to do. And that's okay too. I think that's a, that's an excellent point. Uh, thank you for, thanks for, for saying that, Adam. I think that as someone who hasn't given a talk and certainly has no plans to in the near future, uh, thanks for saying that, Adam. Uh, speaking of which, I think you should give a talk on creating a podcast, Chris. I didn't, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, it's been a thought. Well, yeah. So, uh, I think that that is a pretty good place to wrap up. Uh, is there any like parting words of love or wisdom that you'd like to give either of you? I think I'll just reiterate that, that you really do have something to say. Maybe speaking isn't your particular way of sharing that, like Adam was saying, but maybe some sort of writing or something, but you've got something to say. Um, I love how Seth Godin puts it all the time. He says, the world needs your art. Nice. Excellent. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Here, here. Well, cool. Well, cool. Well, uh, in wrapping up, uh, Adam, on a scale of one to five stars, how would you rate this podcast? Oh, I obviously I'm a little biased, but I love this podcast. I find it so interesting that there's so many different and diverse topics to talk about. And I love the fact that it's like 30 minutes or so or less. Like it's a totally consumable thing. So I give it a a raving five stars. Thanks, Adam. And you, listener, can be just like Adam and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice. I would very much appreciate it. It helps us reach new listeners when we have more reviews in these uh, podcast apps. So thank you very much for your help. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you want even more interesting, we have an awesome newsletter where we every week we collect all the cool things we see online all week. And Randy and Frank put together just a digest of all them and try to organize them logically and give a give a short uh, intro to them that will help you consume them in an efficient manner. So I find it awesome to be able to consume stuff so easily. So so I uh, think uh, to our newsletter team for putting that together. And that's at codingzeal.com slash interestings. Or you can follow us on Twitter at codingzeal. Thank you. Thanks, Chris.